Welcome to the Tool Shed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From the MLB draft all the way to the show, we're here to help give you the edge in your dynasty leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. Welcome into episode 185 of the Toolship with Clayton Cross, powered by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eric Cross, and joining me as usual is my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, how how sore are you from your ski trip the other day? Actually, not too bad, man. I didn't fall any, so that's good. It's been a while since I, I used to go a lot growing up. It had been right about 10 years since I had done it, and so I, a little bit sore, just a little more tired than anything, because skiing for six hours and then it was a three hour drive you know, each way so six hours in the car and six hours of skiing in one day kind of adds up so just a little bit tired not too sore overall but it was a fun day nice little getaway for sure yes it's funny that you mentioned you hadn't, you hadn't done it a bit because about that's just more so back in like december when it started we started getting the actual snow and it started getting colder here i i tried ice skating with my kids for the first time Oh, I probably had an ice skated since right after high school. So it's probably been pushing 15 years and got the skates on. And I was like, all right, I, th- I think I'll do okay. Got out there and within the first like minute and a half, I almost like tore my ACL five different times. It's like <laughs> knees buckling in and out. I'm like, nope, done. I kind of just like, kind of like, you know, you did a little like a shuffle here and there. My, <laughs> my daughter, my daughter, my 10 year old daughter is like flying around. My son, he's seven. He's kind of like, you know, the same thing I was doing. He's, Hasn't really been on skates too much, but yeah, I was like, yeah, this is why I don't do this anymore. I could never even think about skiing. <laughs> I just, I mean, if I had to pick between skiing and snowboarding, I guess I'd pick skiing because you got two skis. Right. Like, I, feel like I, I feel like I could like navigate that a little easier than snowboarding, which I've tried and went into a tree. So I'm not trying that again, but we're not talking about that too much today. We're talking, obviously talking some baseball here and continuing our redraft specs to targets that we did last episode with hitters. We're doing pitchers today. A lot of fun names on the docket to talk about. But before we get into that, the housekeeping, you can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm Eric Cross 04. And our show is at Toolshed Pod. If you enjoy this podcast, please write and review. Check out our Patreon for more work from me and Chris's subject for more work from him. And before we get into the show, we want to say a quick word about our friends at Underdog Fantasy. If you sign up using the promo code Toolshed, you'll receive 100% deposit match up to $100, and they can be used on any of their fun fantasy games, including MLB best balls, individual player pickums across all sports, and so much more. Sign up today using the code TOOLSHED at play.underdogfantasy.com slash the letter P-the-toolshed. All right, so again, just pitchers in this episode here, and we only have two pitchers going within the top 200 ADP. I mean, one technically might not be a prospect, depending how you feel about the players coming over from Asia as prospects. But we have Kodai Senga going right around pick 185. And then about 10 picks later, Grayson Rodriguez at pick 195. We've already kind of heard, Chris, that the Orioles are going to limit Rodriguez a bit, which is not surprising given, you know, the fact that he missed, you know, a few months of the season last year. Uh, I don't I don't think they said like a hard number, but it's it'd be more like, you know, not like shutting him down more so like limiting him to like three, four innings per start for the most part, at least early on in the year. So you got to figure he probably doesn't see more than 120 to 130 innings or so. 
Are you in on either Senga or Girot pricing? I am out on Grayson Rodriguez. Just that standpoint of, you know, pitching prospect coming off an injury. Like, I'm a bit concerned about how many innings that he throws. So for that reason, I'm just kind of staying away from him. And he may be really good over those innings. Like, he may, if he throws 100 innings, he may be spectacular. But it's still kind of tough to stomach that price tag, not knowing how many innings we're definitely going to get out of him. I do think there's still some injury concerns. He's obviously put that behind him. He finished the season out healthy last year. So hopefully he has a full year healthy. Senga's interesting. I do think Senga will compile innings, but not as much as we think. So depends on your expectation of him of what you I think some people were drafting him, expecting him to be an ace. And that's not really the case. But Sanga has looked good so far in camp. Pete Alonzo said about his uh, ghost fork ball, he it struck him out twice. And he, he was talking about how great of a pitch it was. So he basically said the term ghost was, was perfect for it because he literally couldn't see it. So he, I think that Sanga is actually going to be a really solid arm. SP3 levels, probably not like ace levels, but I'm okay with that. You Where you're drafting them, if you get innings in decent ratios, then you're going to be all right. So I am getting Senga at the right price, and I think that this ADP of 186 is actually pretty reasonable. So I'm much more in on him than Grayson Rodriguez for just 2023. Yeah, that's fair, given that you know we'll probably see Senga 20, 30 more innings or so. Hard to say right now, but... The ghost fork, yeah, it's like, and it's funny too, like, unlike the gyro ball, which wasn't a real pitch, this is actually a real pitch, and there's a reason why they call it the ghost fork, and, you know, Tim McLeod, who is very in tune with that part of the world for baseball, has been raving about Senga ad nauseum, you know, basically for the entire offseason, not even before that, so if Tim McLeod, if he's given the stamp of approval there, that's, you know, I, I trust him very with players coming over from Asia and just doing my own research on Senga and you know, watching video and all that. I think the ADP is fine. I'm surprised it's actually not higher. You know, when, when he first you know signed, I was like, all right, we'll probably see ADP. I was guessing like 140 to 150. So the fact that it's you know closer to 200 than 150 did kind of surprise me a little bit. So I think that's fair because at that point in the draft, figure in a 15-teamer, that's going to be your 12th, 13th player. So what, you probably got, three starters and a reliever at that point or something like that. So he's probably your SP4 at that point, maybe SP5 if you want a little more pitching heavy early on. And I'm definitely okay with that if he's your SP4 or 5 with the upside that he has. And I think a fairly, I know it's hard to say there's a higher floor with these guys that have never pitched in the major leagues, but he feels at least you know kind of safe. So I'm definitely fine with him at that range. As, as for G-Rod, everyone knows I love Grayson Rodriguez. He's my number one pitching prospect. Saw him live. 2021 are going to be the best arm I've ever seen live in the minor leagues. But the fact that he's being limited to, you know, again, there hasn't been like an exact number, like he's getting capped at this. My guess is in that 120 range, speculating. But to return positive ROI at that spot, he, you know, does have to go all Spencer Strider on us, but he probably has to have, you know, low three ERA, you know, well over a K per inning, or, you know, probably 27, 28, 29% K rate which I think is definitely possible. Like, I think there's definitely is a chance that Rodriguez returns positive ROI, but it's just risky. Like, You need him to come out and 
basically almost live, live up to the hype right away in order to return that positive ROI. And that's just hard to ask of anybody, no matter how talented the arm is. So I'm not out on that ADP, but I am, after that news came out, I am a little bit more hesitant. I probably won't have many share. I think I do have one early share from like a November draft or something like that, but I don't see myself getting a ton of Rodriguez shares this year. Same guy, I probably have, I'll probably have a couple more shares of him. Let's, let's jump down a little bit here to the other, you know, top pitching prospect. I know that's your number one pitching prospect here. It kind of, they kind of go back and forth depending on whose rankings you look at. Andrew Painter going up the board right around pick 335 or so. Obviously had the huge year last year getting up, up to double A as a 19 year old. Already have the rumblings of him breaking camp in that, in the rotation. And Dombrowski's, you know, done this before. It's not like he's, Kind of never done this, so I, so I'm starting to believe the rumblings. Whether it happens or not, who knows? I think he still needs a, a strong spring training. But at this point, just given what we know now, that you know, with the chance of them being in the rotation, Chris, ADP around 335, obviously all the upset in the world. Is that a spot where you're willing to take a chance on him? I think so because I think they're serious about him breaking camp with the team, which is kind of wild to me. I'm. Um, have a hard time seeing a 19-year-old in the opening day rotation. And yes, I know he'll turn 20 at the beginning of the season, but he'll be 19 opening day. But there's, it just seems like that there's a lot of smoke behind this. And it seems like where there's smoke, there's usually fire. With a decent spring training, I do think he breaks camp with the team. How many innings he gets, I don't know. But, I mean, it's a near 150-pick difference from Grayson Rodriguez. And if I already think that Painter is the better arm, then I should feel pretty comfortable with this, If, especially knowing that there's a strong chance that he could be in the rotation. This is the price point where you can kind of afford to, to stash a player of this caliber. Now, I guess the question becomes, like, how long do you stash him? Hopefully he's up soon, and hopefully they kind of hold true to what they've said. And if he has a decent spring training, then he's in the opening day rotation. Again, I've struggled to believe that all all offseason, but it just kind of seems like that that's going to be the case. So I think they want to win now, and that's I think that they've got to put them in the rotation if they're serious about competing. With that being said, once we get confirmation, if we get confirmation that he's in the opening day rotation, he's going to push into the top 100, I think. So maybe not top 100 overall, but top 150 overall for sure. Now, what percent chance at this point in time, what percent chance do you put on him making the rotation on a winning day? 75. Okay. I was thinking like, I was, I was feeling like 60% range. I think it's over 50% at this point. And yeah, I was, I was just like you, Chris. I, you know, we started hearing those rumblings, you know, a month or two ago, whatever it was. And like, oh, okay, that, that's, they're just saying that. But then the rumblings kept getting stronger. And now we're in spring training and those rumblings are still there. So I could definitely see it. And, well, I, you know, it's basically a coin flip. You know, I, I do have G-Rod ranked a little bit ahead, but both obviously very exciting arms long-term. But for 2023, if you t- told me, like, I have to take either G-Rod around pick 195 or Painter 140 picks later around 335, I'd be taking Painter, no doubt, because I do think the innings pitch totals are probably in the, in the same ballpark this year and could have very similar production as well. But one comes at a... 9, 10, 11 round difference. So I would definitely be 
scooping up. You know, I don't, actually, I don't have any shares yet. With every drop, I'm any guy that goes. He's been being pushed up already as these rumblings have gotten stronger. Up, you know, I've seen him going, you know, inside the top hundred in some of my drafts. So I have not had a share yet, but maybe, you know, maybe I'll get to a point where I have a, a rotation I feel good about and I can jump the uh, jump the gun a little bit, reach a little bit, and get to a share of Patriot because, yeah, very very talented. And last year was not a fluke. Like he is legit as they come. But going back to the name in between Rodriguez and Andrew Painter. In terms of ADP, Hunter Brown is a name that I've been getting a lot, probably out of any name on this list, probably the one I had the most shares of, or if not, probably like one of the top three that I had the most shares of. Going right around, you know, 250 or so in NFBC DCs since January 1st. At the current point in time, not penciled into the rotation, but he's the next guy up. McCullers is already dealing with something, which is not surprising in the slightest. He's a guy that even as a, you know, swing man, multi-inning reliever, spot starter role, uh, even let's say McCullers, you know, it's nothing and he's healthy. I think you still could get 120 plus innings. And at this range of ADP, you know, 250 or so with what he can bring both in terms of ratios and strikeout rate, I was already buying. And if he did lose into that rotation, kind of like what you mentioned with Painter, I think the ADP is going to drop or rise, I should say, considerably well into the top 200, maybe even closer to top 150 or so range. You know, I, I love Brown. He can get ground balls. Get a, you know, very small sample size, obviously, but 65% ground ball rate last year. You know, fastball, curveball, slider, you know, mixes in the splitter every now and then as well. But really, this those three offerings, you know, and both, you know, can miss bats with both breaking balls very nicely. I'm I'm a big Hunter Brown guy. I keep moving him up my rankings everywhere every time I update them. So he's one I'm definitely uh, looking to target this year. Yeah, I think that there's a strong possibility that he's just the guy, like the Christian Javier of last year. We know that McCullers can't stay healthy. It's, I mean, it's just not a matter of if, it's a matter of when I think he gets hurt. He already is hurt, you know, whether it's serious or not. I'm not sure Arkady's the guy either, so... I would say that Hunter Brown's likely to get 150 innings. It should be 150 really good innings. I'm willing to jump this ADP a decent bit. We've already seen it kind of move up some. I think he went, I was looking in a DC I'm in currently. He went, it was in like the 220 range. Like I planned on draft him and just completely missed him, which is a, a bit you know, painful. So... Yeah, he went in the 16th round of 15 teams. So do the math. It was like 230, I think. And that'll only continue to rise. Like, I think if we get confirmation that, you know, he's going to pitch. And right now it looks like he's going to pitch for the Astros pretty regularly because Lance McCullers is hurt. I don't really trust Jose Urquidy. Brown puts him in a place to win. He's, he's, he's just a great arm. And, you know, whatever role it is, however many innings he gets, like, I'm not particularly worried because I would expect him. He, he threw 126 last year, so 150 is reasonable for this yeah. caliber arm. And I think they're going to be 150 really good innings at that. I am 100% in agreement there. I'm 100% on board and drafting Hunter Brown. Now, I, I think let's, let's take G-Rod right out of the equation because you already mentioned you're kind of out on him, but at least for this year, if you had to pick between Senga or Pick 185, Brown about 250, and Painter around 335. Which one is the best value there in your mind, Chris? Probably Brown because I feel like it's 
pretty assured that he's going to you know, get the innings. I think Painter gets the innings, but again, like I'm at 75%, like with Brown, like we know pretty certain that he's going to be in on the team to begin the year, whether it's a swing role or starting. And I'm pretty confident he's going to be a starter. So I would, I would take Brown in most cases and, and best value. Yep. I agree with you there a hundred percent. All right. Moving a little bit further, actually right in, that, in the same range as Andrew Painter, we have Hayden Wineski actually one pick behind him on average and Brian Bayo going around pick 340. Again, he's not technically a prospect, but again, kind of like with Von Grissom last episode, close enough that we wanted to include him in this range. You know, obviously, you know, people can say I'm Red Sox bias, whatever. It's got to come with the territory, but I love Brian Bayo this year. Now, he already has a little bit of an issue as well, but it sounds like it's minor. It's going to, you know, delay him just a couple of days. So not, nothing that'll jeopardize you know the start of the season for him anytime you work with pedro martinez in the offseason that can only be a positive like there's zero but zero chance that was any type of negative impact obviously pedro one of the best pitchers of all time best pitcher i've ever seen in my lifetime at least and i know i'm only 32 but i you know saw bayo twice yeah twice live in double a like that sinker just eats up hitters because you know high amount of ground balls with it Tight slider, really good changeup. Love that changeup. I think it's easily a plus offering. And you know, this the stats weren't quite there though. He did finish the season better, but at this range, like there's not a lot of higher upside. Obviously, Painter, but outside of Andrew Painter, for the most part, there's not a ton of higher upside guys, or just a lot of guys that I like in this range in general. Just all these pitchers, like, who else is in this range? Eduardo Rodriguez, no thanks. Jose Quintana, no thanks. Steven Matz, no thanks. Marquin Perez, no thanks. So just this range in general is kind of barren for at least guys I like, outside of obviously Painter and Bayo. So I already have a few shares of Bayo this year, and I'll probably have a few more because I think this is a pretty good value for him. Yeah, I want Bayo in pretty much every draft. He made some changes down the stretch last year. And it paid off. I mean, we saw the pitch mix change at the end of the month or at the end of the year in September. He upped the slider usage pretty significantly. And that's his best pitch. And changeup's pretty dang good too. But the slider's a really good pitch. Throw your best pitch more often. He used the sinker less, which is is fine. Like that was a, a ground ball inducing pitch. Doesn't get a ton of whiffs with it. That's okay. That slider changeup combo are really deadly. I think that he's going to be a pleasant surprise. And I think this, this ADP is just a gift, honestly. Yeah. I'm, I'm just uncertain about Hayden Wesneski here because he doesn't have a role. I liked Wesneski at like the beginning of the off season, this ADP, but they've gone out and signed guys. They got Jameson Tyon. They got Drew Smiley. They also still have Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele, Adrian Sampson, Keegan Thompson. Some of those names you might laugh at, but also Kyle Hendricks. Like, Hendricks will be back at some point. So I'm just not so sure what Wesneski's role looks like. He probably, I'm fairly confident he starts the year in AAA, but when does he get up and get a shot? I know he got a taste and was really good at the end of last season in the majors, but based on what the Cubs have done, like, it just tells me that they're not ready to invest fully in him. So I'm just baffled that his ADP is still here 
right now. And I had to even go double take to to confirm that over the last month he was still going at 335, and that's just way too high for me right now considering he doesn't really have a role. Yeah, I, I was just trying to pull it up. I, I did see a tweet like a few days ago thing that it was it was uh, for Wesneski. Oh, here it is. The It was the athletic MLB saying that uh, he's in a competition with Adrian Sampson. So I guess it wasn't like overly positive, but he's at least in competition. So I guess that is somewhat positive. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you that if we knew he was going to be in the rotation, I would love this ADP. Like, I think we both have talked highly about Hayden Wesneski over the last, you know, year or so on this podcast. Sliders, really, really good. He can miss bats. Love the upside in this range. So if he was in rotation, I'd be fine with it. And I would definitely be getting some shares. Like him and Bayo would be like my two guys in this range. But we just don't know that. And if it, you know, starts coming out later on in spring training, you know, we get into March, middle of March or so, and it sounds like he's going to be in rotation. Of course, the ADP rides a good 30, 40 spots inside the top 300, but could easily shoot the other way if it doesn't look like he's going to be. And I, I just don't know what the Cubs are doing. Like they're, they don't, I don't know what their reluctance is. So like, all right, let's throw Wisniewski in rotation. Let's throw Matty Mervis at first base. Like, they're not playing for anything this year. At least we don't think so. They're probably like a 75-ish win team. So why not see what you have? Like, why do you need to start Adrian Sampson or Keegan Thompson? Like, I just don't get it. I'd rather be starting, you know, maybe this is this is the fantasy analyst in me, but starting Matt Mervis and Wesneski guys that could be factoring into their long-term plans, see what they got, because they both have some upside. We've seen that. But, yeah, in terms of, guy, you know, Bayo versus Wesneski in this range, even the guy that, will be in the rotation on opening day. At least he, you know, Bale better be in the rotation or I think you'll have all the Red Sox fans rioting outside of Fenway Park, that's for sure. All right, then we got, do you want to say something there, Chris? Nope, you're good. All right, moving a little bit further down, there's four more arms going within the top 480p. We got Dre Jameson, Ken Waldachuk, Brennan Fott, and Cody Morris. You know, four pretty fun arms for that range of ADP. You know, Waldachuk should be in rotation. Looks like Jamison will as well in Arizona. Fott and Morris, though, you know, who know they could be in rotation, but those two are definitely far less certain to be in rotation. So, I, I Chris, I know you love Fott. You wrote a nice article on him that I wrote you check out over on Pitcherless about a month and a half ago, I think it was. But for this year, which, which of these four, you know, maybe all four of them, maybe none of them, which of these four are you in on at their ADPs this year? Well, I'm not with Cody Morris because he's hurt. So that's obviously not ideal. He can't get healthy. I, I'm just a bit worried about him. He, I mean, the lat soreness, like, not ideal. We're already looking at someone who's 26 as a prospect. And, you know, I like Morris and what he brings to the table. But I'm pretty much out on him at this point. Overall, Jamison's interesting. I'm not sure the D-backs really know who's going to be in their rotation yet, so it kind of you know leaves question marks with Brandon Fott and Dre Jamison. But I am confident in this, that Brandon Fott is the second-best pitcher in the D-backs org behind Zach Gallen. There's no doubt that he's better than Mad Bum, Zach Davies. I think he's better than Ryan Nelson. Merrill Kelly was good last year, but... I'm still taking Brandon Fott over him. I, I just don't think we have put enough stock. And I think a lot of, I think the prospect industry has come around on Fott over this offseason. But yep. what he did last year was just spectacular. Don't look at his ERA. 
looking at pitchers' ERAs and hitters' batting averages in the minors is useless. Let me just tell you because there's wild hitting and pitching environments that you just don't fact most people don't factor in. But fought pitched in super hitter friendly leagues in the PCL and even in, in Double A, the the D backs Double A is a huge huge hitters park. So when you look at the generic stat line. Fott just doesn't look that good, but he led the league in innings pitch last year, which is awesome. 167, like he's ready to go. He led the the minors in strikeouts as well, 218. I mean, that was 12 more innings pitched than the next closest, Sean Boyle. And the strikeouts, I, I know Kyle Harrison had less innings, but he beat Harrison by nearly 30, which is pretty wild to see there. So. My biggest thing is that Fott just has elite command control. His arsenal is extremely good. He's a heavy strike thrower. So he's just going to get you with all of his pitches. I mean, locate the fastball up, does it really well. He doesn't really blow you away with velo, but it just plays up so well because he locates at the top of the zone consistently, gets really good ride, has good spin rates, you know, good life on it. The slider is dangerous pitch as well. Like, he, the crazy thing is he had a 72.2% strike rate on that slider, which is kind of unheard of for a slider, but it was that good. It had a 44.1% O swing, so a lot of chase out of the zone. Changeup is inconsistent, but pretty nasty when you watch it. I mean, the changeup is like Luis Castillo, Brandon Woodruff good. Last year, 22.2% swinging strike rate on the changeup. Brandon Woodruff's changeup had the best swinging strike rate in the majors last year at 27.8%. And Luis Castillo, who we know has an elite changeup, had a 21.8%. Yes, we're looking at the difference in minor and major league hitters, but still shows you how good Fott's changeup was. I just think that he's going to win a spot. He's that good. And like I said, I, I just, if the D backs actually want to win, then they can only run, you know, Mad Bum out there so long. He just, he's not good anymore. Zach Davies just isn't good. So, Brandon Fott's the one I'm taking everywhere. The A's are weird, like what they've done. Ken Waldachuk could get a chance. He should get a chance, but who even knows anymore because they've just acquired like every arm possible this offseason, and who knows who gets the spots. Like I would have said Waldachuk was a definite shoe-in, and right now I'm not sure he is a shoe-in based on what they've done. So I do like Waldachuk, but I want to know he has a spot. But yeah, these four, it's uh, Brandon Fott. You know what the Oakland Athletics rotation, well, really the entire team, but specifically the rotation reminds me of? You go to like a Walmart and you're like in the aisle outside of the electronic section. And it's like that big circular bin that's full of dollar movies or $5 movies, whatever. And you just like reach in, grab one and you're like, wow, I haven't heard of this movie in like 10 years. Like that's kind of like, it's just like Walmart, you know, dollar movie bin rotation. That's what the Oakland Athletics are. But yeah, they should. Start wall to chuck. I don't know why they wouldn't, but it is Oakland. I have no idea what their game plan is. I don't think Oakland even knows what their game plan is. But you know, out of these four, obviously, I, I, I like Cody Morris, you know, a decent amount. But like you mentioned, he just can't stay healthy. So he's not one I've I've been targeting at all. I've been targeting, you know, I've got, I think I've gotten at least one share each of Jamison Waldachuk. I think I have a share of Vernon Fought. I have to go back and look so far. And I think it might have been one DC, but. All right, I do agree. Obviously, I'm not going to, you know, you, you said it very well. I think Fought has the highest upside here. 
you know, if you want, I, I think Jamison is probably ahead of him on the depth chart. We'll see. But I think a strong spring training could put Brendan Thought in that rotation. But if you want upside, you know, and at that point, you know, you probably, this is getting to the range where we're getting out of, you know, past the 12 team, you know, 25, 26 spot redraft leagues and getting more into, you know, be, you know, deeper leagues, best balls, DCs, draft and hold, stuff like that. So these are kind of be getting into that range of targets. So at that point, if I already had a, a staff I'd feel good about and I was willing to go, you know, maybe a little more upside pick, definitely Brendan Fought for sure. Like you mentioned with, with that, you know, the strike rate, the O swing rate on that slider, that just shows it's elite, elite command on that pitch when you can land it for strikes. When it basically whenever you want to, and also get hitters to chase it outside the zone, that is just the eighty grade command of a pitch right there. So I love that. Fought is absolutely nasty, and yeah, that's a good point as well. But not not reading too much into now. Obviously, stats can tell us a bit, but you know, taking everything with a grain of salt, especially in the upper levels. Like if you looked at Fought's stats last year, and let's take you know history Ruiz's stats. Just looking at their staff, do you think Ruiz is the second coming of Ricky Henderson? <laughs> and do you think Brendan Fodd is like the next Patrick Corbin or something like that? You know, so don't read too much into them. You know, definitely I like I like Fodd a good amount. I like I like Walter Jameson a little bit too. I think all they're all three of those guys are decent enough targets in that range. So moving past pick four hundred now, we got Luis Ortiz four eleven, Ryan Nelson another Arizona arm at four forty seven. Matt Brash, 461. Kate Gavali, 462. DL Hall, 467. Kyle Miller at 470. And another Oakland Athletic, Shintaro Fujinami at 547. That's a very interesting range. Like right in that 460 to 470 cluster of Brash, Cavalli, DL Hall. I don't know. Brash might be, I, I think, absolutely is a reliever at this point. But with how you know, there's no clear, obviously there's a lot of good names in that bullpen. Obviously Andres Munoz and Paul Seawald leading it for the most part. But I won't be surprised if Matt Brash maybe runs into I don't know five, six staves this year with a ton of strikeouts. You know, see where the where the ratios end up at. But he's at least interesting in this range for sure, in, in my eyes. Yeah, if he even in a bullpen, I think there's some some value for Brash, and that's really probably the best route for him to go where I think his value can really play up the most. So I would be interested in targeting him. The, the only problem is their bullpen's just really deep. So he's just another arm when, you know, they've got Seawald and Munoz and Diego Castillo at the back end. So, you know, maybe he, like you said, he may run into a couple saves, but I'm just not sure I can invest that pick, even though I know it's you know, outside of a pick in normal 30 team, 15, a 30 ro- 30 man roster 15 team draft but in a dc even it's like there's just better options around him or i'm not sure like you make it good ratios and strikeouts but like at the end of the day like you need saves or right. you need to be a starter and i'm just not sure he's going to get that with how deep the bullpen is and nelson's there like i said the d-backs you know they're interesting what are they going to do i think their best five is probably not the five they trot out and I think the best five is Gallon, Merrill Kelly, Nelson, Fott, and Jameson. But we know Bumgarner has a big contract, so they're going to feel obligated to pitch him. Zach Davies, gosh, I have no clue. Like, I know he's not on a big contract, but who knows what they do with him, honestly. But I just fear that 
they're not going to run their best arms out there to start the year. Hopefully, Fott is one of them. Cavalli's interesting. I do think that Cavalli is better than we saw last year. He had some ups and downs, and it's a perfect spot for him. I mean, there's just the Nationals' rotation is just not good at all. So, Cavalli should get every chance, if healthy, to you know get a spot with him and and run with it. So, I think a lot of his value depends on health. But right now, I mean, you just look at that rotation, and, and if Josiah Gray is your ace, then you got issues. <laughs> and Patrick Corbin, Trevor Williams, Cade Cavalli, Mackenzie Gore, like Cavalli's going to pitch. There's just nobody else. There's another sneaky one I think is going to pitch a lot, and that's Thad Ward, who they drafted in the Rule 5 draft. And I think Thad Ward is a super sneaky late DC target. He's going to get 100 innings because they don't have anybody else. So there's some interesting targets here. I want to see Cavalli in the spring before I really invest in him. But the upside is there. I think we know that. We've seen it's just the injury tracker. It is going to be a really big thing for him. But I will say I think that Cavalli gets plenty of innings in Washington next year. He, he absolutely should. Like, there, There's no reason why a guy like Kate Cavalli shouldn't be getting you know, every, in the ball every fifth day for the Nationals. And, you know, the rotation actually could be fun if a lot of things break right. Like if Gore, you know, if he can stay healthy and, you know, get past the issues he had last year, if Cavalli can stay healthy, if Gray can fix the fastball, there's a lot of ifs there, but there's at least some, some, a little bit of hope, I guess, if you're, if you're a Nationals fan. And yeah, that Ward, you know, he was, or a Thaddeus Ward, as you'll see some places, very fancy, kind of like the Nate Nathaniel Lowe thing. But, he was one that a lot of us Red Sox fans were really, you know, we hated seeing go in that Rule Five draft because the stuff is there. Like he, the wall, you know, command and control comes and goes, but the bat missing ability is there. So he's definitely, you know, maybe a, a late round dart throw and, and you know, draft and hold or something like that. See, see if he can get some innings this year, whether it be in the bullpen, which also is not that good, or in the rotation at some point this year, but. Yeah, I do. I I like Katie Cavalli a decent amount. I don't think he'll ever be a great ratio guy. He's probably a guy that's, you know, high three, low four ERA, you know, one, two, five whip or something like that. But that's going to come with a good amount of strikeouts. I'm talking like 20, probably 28, 29 ish percent K rate guy. He's got the stuff, good breaking ball, solid changeup as well. So I, I do think he's worth just like, ups, you know, if you're looking for upside, which I think most people are at this point, and an upside play that could get you innings, 120 plus innings as well. Yeah, I think he's definitely a, a great target in this range as well. I like Luis Ortiz too with Pittsburgh a little bit. DL Hall, I don't know. DL Hall is so good. Like, I want DL Hall to be good because a good DL Hall could be like a top 20 fantasy pitcher if he can throw enough strikes and limit the walks. But we have not seen that yet outside of like a two week stretch and two years ago or whatever it was, end of the season. You know, walk rate was you know higher than it had been previous seasons last year. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping Baltimore is obviously they have a great player development team in place there. I'm hoping they can get that, you know, command and control into a better spot moving forward because he could be a big, big impact arm. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe I, I go after him if he, if, he, if he falls past like 525 or so. Maybe I'll take a, a risk on that upside. But for now, I don't think I'll be getting many shares of D.L. Hall. I'm, I'm kind of just in like a wait-and-see mode with D.L. Hall right now in F's. But outside of these names here, a lot of, you know, these are guys that could be, you know, we talked about guys that are either going to be in the opening day rotation 
or close to it. So let's go more some kind of mid-season stashes here. Guys, it could be up June, July, August, something like that. But obviously, high upside variety here. A lot of fun names could be up this year. Mainly, you know, we had Espino on the list, but again, he's already dealing with more issues. So taking Espino off the list for now, probably don't see him much. We don't know when we'll see him at all this year in any level, but we got Kyle Harrison from the Giants, Gavin Williams from the Guardians, Yuri Perez from the Marlins, Taj Bradley from the Rays, Ricky Tiedemann from the Blue Jays, and then the trio of Bobby Miller, Gavin Stone, and Ryan Pepio, who actually he probably should have been talking about in the previous section here, as he probably is up earlier, always earlier than most of these guys. So out of all these names that I just mentioned, Chris, are there a couple that stand out to you that you're like, all right, I want to get hit now, whether it's a, a stash in a you know more shallow league or you know a target in a best ball or drafting hole of DC, anything like that. Who are a couple names here that stand out like yeah, I want all the shares of this guy this year? I would say that Taj Bradley probably stands the best chance to have a spot just with the Tampa Bay rotation. I think he is not going to start with the team, but I do think that he could be up in the first couple of months of the year and provide pretty good impact down the stretch. I'm not sure how much the Giants are going to push Kyle Harrison. And I'm not sure how much Cleveland's going to push Gavin Williams, even though you know, Cleveland's deep and Espino got injured. But I would bet that Tanner Bybee is the first one up between him and Gavin Williams. So Williams is probably a later season you know, debut. I'm not sold that Yuri Perez is going to debut this year either. If not, you know, if he does, it may be really late. So... Kind of out on him. Espino obviously out. Tiedemann. I don't see that one happening either. I could be wrong. Like, there's some holes at the back of that rotation. But I just don't see them being overly aggressive with with Ricky Tiedemann. I mean, he just a small sample of, of dominance. I think that they don't want to push him. But the back end of that rotation has some questions. And, you know, could he earn a spot? Sure. I think I'm going with the Dodgers arms, just being honest, which is crazy because we always think about like opportunities and the Dodgers just don't have a lot of opportunities. But I will say, I think that there's an opportunity for one of these three that are listed, Bobby Miller, Gavin Stone, and Ryan Pepio to get a chance. I don't see Noah Syndergaard being the guy for them. I know he's in the rotation right now. Dustin May, I mean, I think that they have four locked in with Kershaw, Julio Arias, Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May. I'm not confident in Noah Syndergaard. I think he's going to get every chance. And also, Kershaw may not be able to stay healthy. Like, he he doesn't. He usually is good for about 120 innings. There's going to be some innings for one of these guys. And Pepio did debut. I think Pepio is more of a bullpen arm. But Gavin Stone's the one I'm targeting. I think Stone is still a bit underrated. I know Miller has the flashy stuff, but man, Stone's dominance last year just speaks so much volume with what he did from high A to double A to triple A. Absolutely insane. I think what really kind of sets him apart from Bobby Miller is just his command control. I will say Miller has better stuff. Miller's stuff is really elite, but we saw last year Stone pitched 121 innings. He had a 1.48 ERA. That's just absolutely insane. The command's there. The strikeouts are there. I think Stone's going to get a chance and probably get like 100 innings. So 
I think Stone may be the one I'm stashing, if any. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I think there's going to be some innings to go around for these trail of arms here from the Dodgers because look at their entire rotation and tell me one guy that you're like, oh, yeah, but 180 innings. Like, okay, maybe maybe Urias. But outside of that, Syndergaard's had his issues. Gonsolin's had his, his issues. Obviously, Dustin May has, has missed a lot of time. Hopefully, I love Dustin May, so hopefully he's okay this year because I, I have a lot of shares of him already. And then, like you mentioned, Kershaw is good for 120, 130, maybe 140 innings. I'm not sure why projections have him on like the 160, the 170 range. I just really don't see that at this point in his career. But who knows? But again, I just think there's going to be a lot of innings to go around for for all the. And, you know, Papillon might be the first one because he already had you know, a few starts last year, but you know, obviously walked a ton of guys. That's always been his issue. I, I I am kind of targeting Williams a bit because I think similar situation. I you know, Plezak is just not good. Uh, I, I think Cleveland's going to realize that this year finally. And then there's been some issues in, you know, in terms of, you know, Savali's had some injuries. McKenzie's had some injuries. Bieber's even had some. You know, I'm not overly worried about Bieber, but I think there could be a chance for both Tanner Bybee and Gavin Williams to pitch. And I agree that Bybee's probably the first one up, but I could see Gavin Williams getting like, you know, 50, 60 something innings this year, like, you know, 12, 13 starts, second half of the year, something like that. So he's one I, I do have a couple of shares of. And obviously, at this point, we're just talking DCs and, and best balls and whatnot. But Yuri Perez, I don't see up this year. Taj Bradley, I think, is in that 80 to 100 inning range. I think there's going to be, a, he's probably one of the next guys up, but it's Tampa Bay, so who knows? Bradley, obviously, he's not as flashy as a Harrison Williams, a Yuri Perez, but. It's a very, very good arm, very underrated top top ten pitching prospect, no doubt, with decent K upside and a guy that can, you know, give you good ratios as well. So definitely looking to get Bradley a little bit this year where I can. Obviously, Espino's off the list here, but Tiedemann, I I'm a I'm a little bit more bullish on Tiedemann being up this year. I mean, Toronto has already pushed him. Like I, I don't know if that continues, but the fact that they've already been willing to push him. Kind of similarly to how Philly pushed Andrew Painter. You know, Tiedemann got up to double-A right after he turned 20 last year. as a double-A debut against Kyle Harrison. So I don't think he's up nearly as early as Painter. But I could see, like, July, August, you know, he'll probably start in double-A. But if he continues to dominate like he did last year, which kind of, I think, still goes a little bit under the radar, just given the, the huge seasons from, like, Andrew Painter and whatnot. But I think you could see, you know, eight, nine, ten starts, something like that. You mentioned there's some holes in the back end of that rotation, some injury risk as well. So I, I could see uh, Tatum and getting, you know, being a, a nice stash guy for, for later on. High upside for sure. I think he's he's a top five pitching prospect, no doubt, in my eyes. And I think after Painter and G-Rod, you could make a case for Tatum at three. I think I actually do have him at three. I have him above. Yuri above Gavin Williams, above Taj Bradley, above Espino, even before the, the recent injury news. So I love him a lot. I think he's going to be really good for a really long time. Any other any other names you wanted to add to the mix here, Chris? No, I'm just looking at ADP. I think, we, I think that covers most of them. I mean, pitching prospects are weird. And in a general sense, like I'm just kind of avoiding them in redraft to a certain extent. But I will say, like, I do want Brayon Bayo in every league just because the value is really good. I want Brandon Fott in every draft. Luis Ortiz is another where I think that he's got really good value. There's just risk, and you have to know the risk. And at some point, you know, 
players, anybody will say players free. You know, they cost you something if you draft them. So know the opportunity cost, the potential return on investment. And if you're in a fab league, like, don't be afraid to cut these guys. DC's another case because you're holding them all season. But in a, you know, fab league, you got to be able to cut these guys. I will say Kyle Muller's one to add. Oakland's mentioned really weird. Like, they've got a, just a weird rotation at this point. I think Kyle Muller could get a chance. He's been going around pick 481 on average over the last month in draft champions leagues. Wide range from 392 to 551. So a lot of volatility there with Kyle Muller, who I think does have some decent value because there's more opportunity in Oakland than there was with Atlanta, where he was completely blocked out. So Kyle Muller is one to consider as well. I'm just kind of scrolling down the list of ADP. And there's not any really any more pitching prospects that are like, oh my gosh, like you got to draft them type thing. So Kyle Muller would be the one that I'm I'm looking at if you have that opportunity. Otherwise, like it's kind of weird, but I'd say avoid a lot of these guys unless you know that they do drop a good bit. And we've kind of hit on the ones to target at cost. So hopefully that's helpful. But in a general sense, pitching prospects are tough and they're even tougher in a redraft league. You know who else is sitting there? I just saw ADP in like the mid-500 range. Someone that I will not be drafting this year at all. Sixto. Sixto, baby. <laughs> hey, he dropped like, it. what, 40 pounds or whatever it was? Or Best shape of his life, man. Yeah, he's definitely in the, one of the many in that best shape of their life narrative. But no, I will not be. I was joking. I will not be having any shares of six, Sixto Sanchez this year. But yeah, I, I think most of these guys are voids and... I know it's weird because we're talking about this was the entire episode, but hey, I think that could be helpful because, you know, I think people, like I said, I've always tried to give information that people need to hear, not know what they want to hear. Like, we could easily sit here and be like, oh, draft Dre Jameson, draft, you know, G-Rod, draft, you know, you know, Waldachuk. But at the same time, you know, we have to be realistic with expectations, especially with prospects and, and rookies. So I think this is definitely a fun little exercise here to see, you know, who to target, who not to target. I think definitely my favorite targets overall are Brown, Bayo, and eh, I don't know. Nobody else like, really like those are my top two for sure. But I, I already have several shares of of both those guys, and hopefully we'll get several more. But that will wrap us up for this episode. If you missed the hitter one, that was episode one eighty four earlier this week. Go back and check that out. A lot of fun names in that episode as well. But that will wrap us up for this episode. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care.